Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Liz Wald, executive and board director at Good Earth Organics. And if you want to level up your relationships and get some great tips on how to do it, be sure to listen to Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Liz, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, really excited to chat with you. And, you know, we always take these conversations back to the beginning. How do people get on the trajectory that they're on now? And you had business in mind from kind of the beginning, went to college for business, and were really an early adapter when it came to recognizing the significance of e-commerce. What do you think gave you the foresight to kind of see that was going to be the next big way to market? Well, you know, it's funny because my undergraduate degree was actually in sociology, Hmm. which really prepares you for absolutely nothing and (laughs) absolutely everything, I guess, is is the flip side of that. And when I got out of college, I actually had no idea what I was going to do. And, you know, I think about like my dad and my dad was a guy who has his first job was in his in the family business. We had a meat packing business in Boston, and mm-hmm. my grandfather had never you know got past sixth grade. And 
started this meatpacking business and my dad was working in it for quite some time. And then after my grandfather died, he took took over with one of his uncles and the business ended up, you know, basically going under and my dad had to figure out what he was going to do next. And he kind of just jumped around into things. He never seemed to really have a plan until he was in his mid fifties when he decided to get a master's in public health and then work with the elderly, which couldn't be more different than being in the meat business or something like that. So I think when I got out of college and wasn't, and had like no clue what I wanted to do, I, I felt a little bit like, okay, well, my dad kind of switched careers somewhere along the way. I guess I have to figure it out now. And my very first job was selling gala wine to restaurants up in New Hampshire. And I thought, okay, this is probably not my lifelong dream. Right. But my brother sent me a newspaper article. I am that old. We used to like read the newspaper and cut things out. And there was no job boards in the 80s. Sure. Um, and so he said, oh, there's this opportunity at Nike. You know, Mm. and I was like, oh, I played sports in college and Nike's a cool company. And, you know, I'm just going to go take that job. So I quit my job. I moved across the country to Oregon, started working at Nike. And, you know, and after a few years, I was like, this was a great experience, but big companies, big corporates, really not for me. And so maybe I should go to business school and then I'll figure something else out. Right. And so. I did that and went to Kellogg and everyone there was going to Goldman and McKinsey and, you know, all these big corporates. And I just was like, I know this is going to be a bad fit for me. So I stumbled into this company that was doing consulting, a small company, like 2015 people. Hmm. And, uh, and we, we didn't have very much going on. So I just kept reading about the internet and this e-commerce thing. And, you know, I'd always been something around selling and commerce. And, you know, I thought about like, Way back in the day, you know, there used to be these trading hubs, you know, like the Silk Road or something Mm -hmm. and the real one, not the one where they trade weird crypto stuff, you know, and and then there were malls. Right. Right. And I was like, this has to be the next thing in, in commerce. So I wrote to some friends who wrote an article about it and. They're like, well, we're writing articles, but we're not working in it. Call this guy who's working at AOL. And so I called this guy and he had a little group of five people that were doing projects for AOL. And I just said, well, what's the worst can happen? And I jumped in and, you know, that got me on this trajectory of emerging companies, emerging markets, emerging industries, really. And I've always just sort of thought, you know, I don't know what's going to be next, but something will pop up that, that, that seems interesting. And I've never really worried about kind of what the next job is going to be, whether I quit a job or I get fired from a job or I decide to start a company. It's always been kind of like, you know, something's going to be attractive and interesting and exciting. And it's always been something that's kind of new, not that well established, no real rules yet. Um, That's kind of where I like to play. What appeals to you about those things? Because the reason a lot of people get out of business school and go to these big companies is there's a sense of security. It's established. You know, you kind of know sure, it can still go bad, but it's there's a lot more runway. Uh, what appealed to you of having that shorter runway, trying to learn something new and being on the cutting edge with some of these newer companies? I, I think it's, you know, retrospectively, I think it's two things. One is a much more of a generalist than a specialist. Mm-hmm. And I'm really much better at kind of what's going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months than the next 12 to 18 years, yeah. right? And so- Kind of, I'm not going to say 
short-sighted at all, but when you're working in an emerging industry or something that's very new, you have no idea what's going to happen in the future at all. And just trying to figure out how to survive the next six months or how to do a pivot or something, to me, I always kind of fit my skill set. You know, I, I, I grew up playing every single sport there is. You know, I played three sports in high school and two in college. And I was like very good to, you know, excellent, but not a superstar in any of them. Mm. And, and I kind of feel like my career, it's like I can do some marketing. I can do some operations. I can do some sales. I can, I can do some finance. And when you're with a place that's growing and emerging or an industry like that, you don't have to be an expert in any one thing, but you do have to be able to kind of flip pretty quick and no. make your way through that other area. So I think for me, it's always been a good fit because I am kind of this generalist person. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious because like, obviously how quickly things are shifting now, you know, I mean, there was a long period of reading in the newspaper and then thinking AOL is already pretty much out. I mean, yep. <laughs> it's a, it's a, what's that for, for most people. And then you get into, you know, now we're talking about metaverses and, you know, virtual reality, you know, do you think that being farsighted and long-term in your, in your approach and these long-term five-year plans, do you think that's as valuable as being, able to be a little bit short-sighted and being able to pivot quickly because I'm starting to see, you know, more and more people that are succeeding are the generalists who are able to pivot and adapt, you know, and not just investing in one specific company or path for the next 25 years. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that you need is I'm, I'm very fortunate in the position that I'm in, in that I don't have a lot of heavy responsibilities. Like, uh, you know, I don't have kids to raise. I don't have three mortgages. I don't, I'm not taking care of 10 family members or something. So I have the ability to kind of be very flexible and take a lot of risk. I also really embrace change. And some people very much are the opposite. They sort of fear change, right? And so, but I do think you need that combination of a longer term person, someone who has a vision to stick Mm -hmm. through things. And ultimately, you know, I was at Etsy, I was employee number 50, approximately. And now they've got a 1000 employees and the stock is, you know, unbelievable. It's publicly traded. It's very, it's much more of a formal place. And I I think the person who started it had a long term vision for what it could be. But, you know, the very few founders stay through the whole thing, right? And Mm -hmm. he brought in people that were willing to adapt and do things. And then the company brought in like, stable senior management that could take it from this great idea to this, you know, established company. Right. And I think you do need that for the ultimate success, but I think the beginning and the start and the growth is really around people who are very comfortable with the risk and the unknown and kind of thrive in it. And that, that's what I really like. I like wearing all the different hats and trying new things. And I'm also kind of a person that is, like, you know, if it's 80% right, it's close enough, right? Like at that stage, you, you're never going to build a finance, a financial model. It's going to be accurate, you know, like into the future. Right. So, but if it's, you know, quote unquote, directionally correct and, and your assumptions are sound, then it's going to probably get you where you need to be close enough. If you're in a big established company already, and you're talking about 
fighting over, you know, 1% available share, you got to be a whole heck of a lot more accurate and precise. And I think you do need both those kinds of people and, and they all play a role. It's just, I know for me, that's not where my strikes are. Right. I'm curious because like, I mean, everybody knows the name Etsy, you know, and, yeah. and um, there's no shortage of small businesses that have the Etsy size dreams. You know, there's the companies with 50 people that are thinking, you know, thousands and they're thinking about worldwide reach. What did you see starting in so early with a company like that now seeing what it's become? What do you think were the difference makers that took that company from being 50 to being a thousand to being a household name where now it's part of everyone's vocabulary? Yeah, well, I think the household name, I can thank the pandemic for that because I think <laughs> everyone bought a mask. So, right. so from that perspective, uh, but but early on, you know, there is you cannot underestimate first mover advantage. Mm. Um, you know, there was eBay at the time that Etsy came out, but eBay was a very different animal. You know, Etsy was really about the crafter, the maker. And there were very few people from an investor side that would take a bet on that. You know, Fred Wilson is one of them who, you know, is like, okay, I see where this might go. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, most investors today, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, um, I'd like to think it, we'd like to see this change a bit, or happen to be, you know, men, middle-aged white guys who are not really thinking about somebody sewing something or knitting something or whatever. And so there wasn't a whole lot of people who believed in this model, but the founders saw all these folks out there who, you know, didn't want to stand in a Saturday afternoon parking lot in the rain every weekend to sell their goods. And, you know, and, and, and so coming out and saying, Hey, we're going to create something for this group being first, but the key was that they built a community. And I always try to stress this to companies early on is that, you know, the, the community of makers really care about each other. And mm. so they were able to be the buyers and the sellers at the same time, right? So they, they supported each other and they supported this platform that was good for all of them. And mm. I think a lot of people today really just focus on, I'm trying to go get all these consumers but consumers, you know, if they're also not part of the community, they're more likely to flip and go mm. somewhere else and do some other things. So I, I think that the special sauce has always been about building the community. And, you know, the it wasn't always about the pricing or, or any of those kinds of things. It was really like, do people feel welcome here? Yeah. And will they be the ones that bring others? So the marketing spend for Etsy early on was very, very, very low. Because the the sellers brought other buyers and they bought, brought each other. So, you know, Etsy didn't have to go and do that. And so I think community is a huge piece of it. And, and obviously being early to a market is also amazing. You know, there, there's a lot of brands that, that, you know, when we make fun of them, when they try to inauthentically build community or try to say we're a family, you know, um, yeah, yeah. how do you authentically build community with your, with your consumers in a way that's genuine, where it's something where they actually feel that not something you're just saying, Hey, we're a family or Hey, we're, you know, we're your best friend, but you know, on the consumer's mind, that can be further from the truth. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with authenticity through everything you do, hmm. right? And, and you know, Patagonia is probably the most obvious example. 
of a company that like lived his values, right? Like they created product to do things that the people who were making the product wanted to do climbing, fishing, hiking, you know, all these different things out in nature. And then they decided they wanted to ensure that those places stayed beautiful and Mm -hmm. and environmentally sound. And so that their products weren't going to in any way hurt that, you know? And so they've just always been very, very, very authentic and they could have made a whole lot more money. They could have gone public. They could have issued all kinds of, you know, and just grown like crazy, but it wasn't really in their ethos. And so the people who are, you know, brand ambassadors to somebody like Patagonia are going to actually have climbed K2. They're actually going to have worn the gear and provided feedback like this didn't work and this is why we adjusted it, right? And so they're very, very authentic. And I think a lot of companies try to like greenwash or DEI wash or, you know, whatever the hot thing, oh yeah, we're going to... We're going to support this group. This literally month, month to month. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. And it's and unless you, you know, really are committed to 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 something, people are smart. Like they figure that inauthenticity out. Or you got to go the other way. You got to be like our brand is going to be all about like what is hot right now and own it. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think too many brands just try to maximize both their authenticity and their profits. And you know everything else. And you can't really, you have to kind of pick where you want to play. Sure. Sure. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed Survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters. Is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about the cannabis industry because that's where yes, your focus yes. is now. So we should yeah. probably talk about that. You know, you talk about being quick to think and pivoting and 
the short sighted, being able to see opportunities and cannabis. I heard you mention on another show went from being, you know, illegal, <laughs> you know, in, in most of its forms to uh, becoming es- a hot essential. commodity. Like it's yeah. building cannabis lounges in Vegas, you know, 13 minutes from me now. Um, you know, it's how can you capitalize on that sudden high demand without having a ton of experience within that world? Uh, because a lot of people were scrambling to take advantage of this coming, you know, when they saw the laws are changing, there's opportunity here. It was a gold rush. Um, you know, how do you really capitalize that without having the experience of that industry under your belt? Well, I think the beauty, beautiful thing about an emerging industry is when you're early, you only have to be 10 minutes smarter than anybody else. Mm. So, you know, that was kind of, I, I, I took a lot of 2018 and 2019, what I could learn, like go to conferences, read, you know, think about how the emerging cannabis industry paralleled the emerging internet e-commerce industry. Talk about that to friends, you know, read articles, post things up. And really those conversations and just telling people that this is what I was thinking about now led me to some introductions to other people who were like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. Maybe you could talk about that to some other folks. And I'm like, I know nothing about this industry. They're like, well, you know more than I do. I was like, okay, well, I'll just give a perspective, right? And so I think having the curiosity to learn enough um, about, so with cannabis, I had been like thinking about how is this going to be similar to the craft beer industry? Mm. And, you know, I had done some investing in craft beer and I'm a big beer fan and I lived out in Oregon. So of course I, you know, became a big craft beer fan. And, you know, I thought like these big established companies like Budweiser were always out there. And then these craft brands came along and got people excited about the industry in a different way. And then the big guys kind of bought them. And when I look at the cannabis industry, you know, it's a legacy product. Like it's not a new product. It's been around for thousands of years and certain brands are coming out. And then you saw like early, early on Anheuser-Busch and others just make these massive investments very early in the industry and really not know what to do with them. And then, you know, the market really took a lot of swings, but it gave these small brands kind of like, okay, if the big boys think there's some value here, ultimately there will be value in this mm-hmm. market, right? It's been validated at a, at a very high level. And now we could just take one little corner and start building something. Mm-hmm. And I think people could get in without you know, you have to get a license and yes, there's a lot of process there, but, you know, you can join up companies like the one I'm at. We we sell soil and nutrients to cannabis growers, right? It's fully legal. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about the soil business whatsoever. I didn't even know soil didn't have dirt in it. You know, I knew nothing, but I was able to take my skill set around building companies that are small thinking about how new markets emerge and where we might fit in it. And I could learn about the soil. We had soil experts that would be talking to the buyers, but to help the company think, I could just bring my skill set into this new industry, right? And I think you just have to um, look at what you're good at and then say, where can I plug that in? And then early on, there's not that many other people doing it, right? Like they're, they're, still looking from the outside, you know, and every year cannabis passes 
new laws and new states come on board. And I remember seeing something a, a week or so ago, I think it was talking about New Jersey and 15 years ago, 70% of the people said, do not legalize. Mm. And today, 70% of the people said legalize, wow. right? In 15 years, that is a pretty big switch, given that we all grew up in the, you know, just say no kind yeah, of right. era and, and all of that, right? So there are ways to get in, I think, through the skill set that you have to, to bring some value to these companies when it's very, very early in an industry. Right. Because, you know, there's not that many rules yet, so you could kind of make them up. Yeah. Well, it, this kind of leads to a question we ask everybody that comes on the show. And when you're trying to stay 10 minutes ahead, you're trying to stay educated, you know, what is more important? Is it the what you know, or is it the who you know? Is it making those strategic partnerships, or is it reading the right things? Like, what do you think is the most important factor there? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting to think about that question because obviously I think knowledge is power. Like the more you know about anything is going to put you in a in a positive position, right? But you can get that knowledge much more quickly with a great network, right? So if you are able to easily connect to new people, they're going to open those doors to you. And so, you know, an example I was learning everything I could about the cannabis industry. There was an opportunity to go to a conference in Florida around cannabis. And I think it was January, 2019. And prior to going, someone had told me about this woman named Jean Sullivan. And she's like, you know, four foot 10 and a personality of six foot five. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I went to this conference and I saw her and I was like, and I went right up to her and I was like, you have to be Jean Sullivan. You just, you must be her. And I've heard so much about you. And it turns out she lives down the street from me. She's kind of taken me under her wing and made me her sort of mentee in, in, in the cannabis space. And she knows everyone. Yeah. And so like overnight, she was able to open doors to me because I was willing to kind of take my knowledge and, and, and go up to her. She's been able to open doors to me that would take me years to, to get yeah. that, that depth, right? And so you have to know enough to be confident to go out there. But once you do, those people can make the path just so much more open to you in, in ways that all of your knowledge by itself isn't going to get you there. Right. But, but, but I think you still got to have enough to know what the heck you're talking about a little right. bit, right? right? Yeah. How do you make yourself worth knowing when you've got maybe more knowledge than the average person, but then you're working with someone who has, you know, years of experience or far more knowledge than you do where, you know, again, like the reach from the people beneath your knowledge level to you is as high as the reach level between you and that person. Um, how do you make yourself a person worth connecting with a person of value when reaching to those bigger names? I mean, enthusiasm and generosity are two big words that come, right? Like enthusiasm goes a long way in terms of like, hey, I am willing to take on whatever you can put in front of me. I'll learn whatever needs to be done. I'll give time. But I also think I'm kind of a believer in karma. And, and mm. a lot of young people come to me and say, will you look at my deck? Will you be an advisor? Will you do? And I say yes, far too much for my schedule, right? But, mm. but you know, I say yes to people that I think really mean it and really will appreciate the insight 
and, and the advice. And I just, I'm willing to do it. And I also always learn something, right? Like they're going after some area I hadn't thought about, or I hadn't mm. thought about it in this way. And so I think if you're, if you're enthusiastic about something and you're generous with your time, I mean, don't get walked on, of course, but like, you know, you're, you're willing to kind of impart knowledge to others that comes back to you with others being willing to do that for you. Yeah. Um, and I've just seen that, you know, I don't have any data to back it up other than my own personal experience, but, um, you know, people who are always networking for themselves all the time, who don't like go to an event and, you know, maybe you meet someone who's like, you know, that'd be an awesome person to connect with my friend. You know, if you're not that kind of person who's keeping your ears open or your eyes open to those, then people aren't going to do that for you. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I have to ask before I move into a random round, you've always got your ear to the ground. What's the next thing? Do you have any predictions for any big changes coming up? Maybe this is a, a total secret you want to keep to yourself right now. Yeah, but do you no, have anything no. that you see developing that you're like, okay, I think that maybe it's not going to totally change the direction of the industry, but it's going to disrupt the industry right now? Well, I think New York is finally coming online. And, and I know the licenses may not be released till 2023, but New York is so quick. It is such a fast place. And, mm-hmm. you know, Colorado, California, Oregon, you know, these states have been around for a long time. I think New York is going to take all their learning and like put it on steroids and, the, and just boom, it's overnight things that we're like slowly developing are going to come on quickly. And two specific things I think will happen are beverages Mm. and consumption lounges, because I think a lot of people are going to want to go out, socialize, be with their friends. They're not going to want to smoke in a lot of cases and nobody wants to eat, you know, cheers with a, with a gummy. So, So, you know, cannabis drinks, people in the industry have been thinking for a long time that they should take off. They should take off. They should, and they haven't, you know, storage hasn't been enough in a dispensary and they're heavy and they're harder to transport. And, you know, the volume of cannabis you get per unit versus a gummy bear or something. It just, there's a lot of reasons why they haven't developed, but I feel like New York's the kind of market where people are going to be like, yeah, I want to go out to this place and buy a cannabis drink. And I don't care if there's only five milligrams in it. I'm already used to paying $12 for my beer anyway. So who cares? You know, and, and I think that's going to jolt the industry forward. And then consumption lounge, you know, you're in Las Vegas and you you look at planet 13, right? Yeah. People are racing. Imagine planet 13 at 42nd and Broadway, right. With five stories, that have, you know, dance level, smoking level, drinking level, you know, it's going to be like the hard rock cafe of this generation. Right. And, and I think when you, when you get a place like New York, I mean, New York city is a super compact place with 8 million people in it. And a couple of consumption lounges in Brooklyn and in Manhattan and boom, that model is overnight. Yeah. Right. And so I do think that New York will will make some of those things just kind of leap, leap forward, kind of mainstream them in a way that when you're first to market it takes much, much, much longer. Like we're, right. we have the benefit of looking to the West, kind of the opposite of usual where people in the East go West. You know, it's kind yeah. of like, hey, we can see that 
And New York's really good at making things happen quickly. And right. so that that's kind of, I think, drinks and consumption lounges can really take off. And as a Planet 13 stockholder, I hope they do. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the hook right there. Um, yeah. That's super interesting. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully in a, in a few months or a year from now, we'll look back at this clip and go like, perfect prediction. This is exactly where it's headed. I mean, Vegas, that's the talk, you know, is all these lounges and all these ways that they're going to be more friendly to it. And I think it definitely seems like that's the trajectory of it. But uh, also when you live in the Vegas bubble, there's a lot of things that are uh, a bit different than the rest of the country. So curious to see how it spreads out, but um, yeah, go ahead and move us here into our random round. Uh, first off, uh, what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Yeah. So, you know, when I was a kid or not a kid, but young adult, I should say, I always wanted to be like a photojournalist, you know, okay. and I want, or National Geographic photographer or something. It's place someone who get to go to all parts of the world and meet really cool people and be in really great natural environments. Hmm. So something like that would probably be it. Gotcha. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? So this has probably changed these answers over the years, but the person I would pick right now would be Eleanor Roosevelt. Hmm. And I'd pick her because this is a woman who traveled across the country when the country was super divided and found a way to bring people together. And, you know, you know, I, I think like cannabis is the one issue right now where people are all voting yes, like yeah. red states, blue states, you know, conservatives, liberals, whatever. So that's that's great. But I feel like someone like her with a perspective of looking back and the, the, the this woman did like a zillion amazing things. I just think it would be very interesting to talk to her about what she thinks could work today to to bring more people back together right. in today's world. Right. Definitely a message we could use right now, for sure. It would be interesting in your position to be talking to Reagan, but for different reasons. Yeah. But well, uh, Or Nixon, for that yeah, matter. Like, dude, you're killing us. Missed yeah. it. You missed the projection here. Um, how do you like to learn best? Books, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's your favorite way to consume information? So historically, I would have said, um, you know, reading online, like blogs and, and articles and, and whatnot. Lately, I, I really enjoy the podcasts, uh, mm. not just because we're on one here, but, you know, yes. I find them to be, they're, they're great nuggets of information, whether I want to learn about what's going on in crypto or cannabis mm. or, or I want to hear, you know, a great story, a six part story that's entertaining, you know, um, I just, I find the podcast model great and I can do, I can do it. For something light and fun, I can do it while I'm in the grocery store, right? Yeah. And so I, I do I do like that quite a bit. I've never, I know many, many people like to watch videos to learn. It's never been my preferred format. Uh, I like the audio and I like to read, but video I've always found, I don't know if it's like it's too slow or I get distracted or I, I'm not sure what, but um, I'd say these days podcast. Cool. Uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. It's very, it's, it's the same every day. I get up, I do a workout. I, you know, take a shower. I always eat breakfast, coffee and breakfast. And then I start my day. So that is a very typical routine. Um, during COVID, you know, it changed from being, going to a gym to doing the home workout. 
Um, but I always try to do my workout early in the day because I know I will not do it late. Right. And for me, um, you know, in New York, we always joke like you have to either have a trainer or a shrink, one or the other, if not both. And so for me, it's very much a mental as well as physical health thing is to uh, to get my workout in and then eat my breakfast. Yeah. Do you have a go-to pump-up song while you're working out? You know, I'm, I'll, I'll listen to almost anything that's got a good beat when working out. But if I'm trying to get up a big hill or something, sometimes I will flip on a little Eminem. There you go. And like, you know, <laughs> listen to like uh, Lose Yourself or something like that, where it's just like it builds up and then yeah. you get all that good momentum and you kind of blast through and you feel like you're going to make it. Awesome. What is something that you're not very good at? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not very good at long-term planning. Uh, that, that, that's one thing I'm, um, like a lot of people, I would say I'm not as good of a, li- I'm not as good of a listener as I should be. And I think I, that's probably because I get a little impatient. Like I kind of just want to get to the end of the next thing, but I, I try to do whatever I'm doing with enthusiasm to mask those deficiencies. Right. Right. What is the best place for people to connect with you online? So online, I'm pretty much everywhere because I was in the early days. So, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn for business things is probably the best. And, you know, we haven't talked too much about Good Earth Organics, but my role there is is where, how I'm interfacing with the cannabis space. So I think anything to do with cannabis and finding me is uh, certainly through LinkedIn would be the way to go. And I'm just Liz Wald. I'm Liz Wald everywhere on all these platforms. Um, tried to get into them early to get my name. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll definitely have links to Good Earth Organics and all of their um, landing pages there in the show notes and uh, links where people can connect with you as well, because I'm sure they want to follow uh, your journey, see what's next. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe meet in person at one of these lounges one of these days. But um, thank you so much for for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was happy to be here. And, you know, I'm happy to put in the show notes a 15% discount um, for anybody who wants to buy some soil. You know, I know there's a lot of home growers out there. You yeah. can also grow killer tomatoes and peppers and, and other things like that. But, um, you know, I don't know how many people are going to give soil as a holiday gift, but it's a unique type thing. So you never know. It's memorable. It'll be a memorable, memorable gift absolutely. if you give someone soil. But thank you especially so much. Especially if you for... give them a, a plant to book, to put in it, right? So Yeah, especially depending on the plant. But uh, Exactly. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation. My pleasure. Happy to be here. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. 
The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.